This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. ESPN. Our next guest is somebody that football fans, especially Jet fans, should know pretty well. After all, he was a first-round pick of the New York Jets, spent the first six years of his career in the green and white. Pretty darn good player, if I may say so myself. Then he moved on to the Jaguars, and he's been a part of their broadcast team ever since he hung up the playing days. We're talking, of course, about Jeff Lagerman, who's nice enough to join us here on the program. Jeff, it's Dan Grasso. Thanks for hopping on with me, my friend. Good to catch up. How are you? No, I'm doing great, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. And we had Jeff on Greg Buttle and myself uh, on the pregame show when the Jets played the Jaguars late in the season this year. And it's funny, I think back to that night, Jeff, because it was a few days before Christmas, and both of the teams were kind of in limbo trying to get one of those playoff spots. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for the Jets, but you guys, you won a division, you won a playoff game, you ended up being one of the final four teams of the AFC. That's a fun little ride you guys went on this year. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing, and I, I think you know, for an organization that really has had a tough road, it was just a, a great kind of breath of fresh air. You know, the organization for the two years in a row had been the worst team in football, and to get a new coach and and to have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence develop in his second year and have so much positivity ending the year, and giving you a lot of positivity and, and great feelings for the future. I mean, it was it was kind of a magical ride. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could have drawn it up any better for a franchise than what we were able to experience this past year because the fan base is now all back in, you know, and it was, it's been a long time since the fan base has been all in with this football team, just because it's been some tough times. No doubt about it. And look, you got a home playoff game out of it. You had that dramatic home victory. Look, I think you were playing the perfect opponent that night. I mean, I look, I don't the, the Chargers, I don't know what they're doing in terms of the operation over there. I mean, the coach to me leaves a lot to be desired, but you also got one of the best playoff comebacks in the history of football on your ledger now. So you add all those things together. A lot of things to build off of going into Doug Peterson's second year, Trevor Lawrence's third year as the quarterback, right? Yeah, it, really exciting. You know, and what was impressive was how the Jaguars kind of took care of business down the stretch with very little margin for error to kind of get back into that conversation of the AFC South playoff race. And uh, they were able to fortunately have the Titans to kind of falter and to have a lot of injuries. And the Jaguars were able to take care of business in New York. They were able to take care of business against the Texans. And then the last game of the regular season was a home game against the Texans to where they were kind of outmanned a little bit, but Mike Rabel's a great coach and he got that team playing well. And the Jaguars needed a defensive score late in that ball game to win, to get in the playoffs. And the, the crowd for that game was just unbelievable. And then to follow that up the next week with a, with a comeback win against the Chargers where Dan, we were in that game sitting there going, this game is over. I mean, this, yeah. this team got blown out. Nobody nobody comes back from a minus five turnover differential. And I was saying that on our broadcast and not quite sure if it had ever happened. Found out after the fact that no team had ever come back from a minus five turnover differential in the playoffs. And the Jaguars were able to do that. And the crazy thing is, is that they did it without any kind of defensive score. They did it without a special team score. They scored on every possession that they needed to for the rest of the ball game, and the rest is history. It was, it was magical. It was a phenomenal game. The environment was tremendous.
No doubt about it. And like you said, when you have all those miscues, what it does is you eliminate all the margin for error that you could possibly have for the remainder of the game. And yet they just found ways to chip away, chip away to your point and somehow found a way to pull that thing off. It was really, really exciting. We'll get more into the Jags a little bit later because, you know, ironically, you guys played both Super Bowl participants. and We want to get a little bit of a breakdown as far as the big game is concerned next week here. But as far as Jet fans are concerned, you know, they're curious about their new offensive coordinator hire in Nathaniel Hackett. A lot of folks, of course, know he was with Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years, had a lot of success there, but wasn't the primary play caller. He was down in Jacksonville. And if you ask me, Jeff, I think that the best job Nathaniel Hackett probably did as an OC in his career was that year in 2017 when you guys made the run to the AFC Championship game. You had a top 10 offense with him at the helm. So I'll ask it this way. What type of a coach, what type of a play caller do you think that the Jets are getting here in Nathaniel Hackett? Well, let me say this. I have a lot of respect for Nate, and uh, I'm a big fan of his. He's got a great personality. He's fun-loving. He makes the game fun. He's uh, extremely intelligent. He's been around ball his entire life. And, and I will tell you, he will do great things for the Jets' offense. He will be, I think, uh, in, in so many different ways. For one, from the coaching staff standpoint, he's got great experience. He's got great knowledge but the players will really have fun playing for Nate. And I think that's important. And he also has great experience on getting the most out of quarterbacks and whatever the situation is going to be for the Jets, which is up in the air, obviously, he will do the best with what he has. And he will be a great complement and also a great coordinator for Robert to have as head coach because every defensive-minded head coach has got to have a strong offensive mind and Nate will provide that for him. That would be ideal for the Jets, certainly. And you said getting the most out of your quarterback. Now, you guys had Blake Bortles back in 2017. We know that he wasn't an all-pro type player, but yet he made the pieces work. And all good coaches do that, right? They tailor their system to the talent that they have. Is that the type of coach he is instead of, this is what we're running, I'm not going to be flexible, you guys have to do it my way. Is he a type of coach that's going to put his guys in the best position to be successful? Yes, and that's and I think that's what great offensive coaches do. I mean, it, it's look, it's great to have a system, but if you don't have the pieces that fit that puzzle, then a system is useless. And so I think the great offensive minds are the ones that can adapt and adjust, uh, really not even from season to season, but even from game to game. And Nate has the capability of doing that. And you know, he had going back to seventeen, you bring up that. That year, and the Jaguars ended up going to the AFC Championship game against the New England Patriots, and damn near won the game with yep, Blake Bortles at quarterback against Tom Brady. And and to give Nate credit, I mean, he did a great job with Blake Bortles. He took advantage of Blake's mobility, his toughness. I knew that he was a little bit limited with some of the throws, and Nate did a really good job of limiting some of those throws. So, yeah, he's going to do a really good job of making sure that the personnel is going to have a great system to operate within. Talking with Jeff Lagerman, Jaguars radio analyst, former Jet first-round pick, talking about the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett as the Jet new offensive coordinator here on 98.7 ESPN. Now, you guys also saw the Denver Broncos this past season. You played them in London this year, and we know that you know things bottomed out for Hackett out there as the head coach. It, it, it didn't go according to plan, obviously. Now, there's a difference between being a head coach, running the entire operation, as opposed to being somebody who's just calling the plays as a coordinator. 
do you think it's possible to just separate the two and say, okay, well, it didn't work out running the entire ship, but there is something to be said about somebody who could still get it done if he just has to worry about one side of the ball? Yeah, look, I think that there's some that are, are, are great coordinators and there are some that aren't great coordinators that I think are great head coaches. So I think one, if you're good at one, doesn't necessarily make you, make you good at the other. And so, uh, and look, Hackett had a unique situation out there in Denver. You know, people were expecting a lot because they paid a lot of money and trade for Russell Wilson and uh, things didn't go exactly as planned. And Russell Wilson, to be perfectly honest with you, from what I saw, had a very poor year. Mm-hmm. And so it's when you have sometimes when you have components, they just don't mix. You know, they don't make the right cake, you know, to put in the oven. And sometimes you have the right ingredients and it may not be the best cake in the world, but they just go together. And so, so I think Nate will have a will have a is a, is a much better coordinator than a head coach. And the reason that I say that is having been around him, you know, and I love Nate, but uh, if, if I was the owner of an NFL team, I don't know if Nate would have been my head coach. Probably not. But I would hire Nate in a minute to be a coordinator just because he's got a great offensive mind and he's, he's got a little quirkiness to him that makes him fun. And, uh, and maybe that quirkiness doesn't work as a head coach, but as a coordinator, I think it works every day and, and all day. Interesting. And there's a lot of examples. There have been a lot of examples over the history of the game where there are coaches who are great coordinators, not as good head coaches. I mean, there's a couple of them right now that are head coaches in the NFL, not to name any names. But do you, do you think that it, it would be beneficial in his case, let's say, if he would have sat out a season, like with things going as bad as they did in Denver, do you think he could have benefited from time away? Or do you think it's unique in each individual case? Like maybe this will be the best thing for him getting right back at it. I, I think it's a great question. And, and look, he probably could have sat out, still made great money, and just, you know, been fine and dandy. But, Dan, I mean, look, coaches are wired to where they just got to coach. You know, it, it's not a matter of, you know, what's best for them. They're just wired to work. You know, they're wired to coach. And that's, I think that's the, a uniqueness about coaches. And that even though they may have the money and they love coaching and some of them may feel like it's the best option. And I kind of had this conversation with Gus Bradley a little bit, you know, Gus had an mm-hmm. opportunity after being head coach here in Jacksonville to sit back. He had still had a full you know, year or so under contract and could have gotten paid to not work. But look, these guys just want to coach, you know, and that's what they love. They love coaching. And it's almost like teaching. It's almost uh, in that respect, because you just love the relationships that you have, the challenge of putting a team together, the atmosphere of the team, the camaraderie that you have with team and, and locker rooms. And it really is. It's, it's very unique. You know, I've, I've been in broadcasting now in the NFL since I retired, you know, going all the way back to, to 1999. And I can tell you that the chemistry is different when you're a part of the team, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, or whether you're a staff that has a direct hands-on application with the players, it's, it's just different. And those guys love that connection and they love that atmosphere and that's how they're wired and more power to them. You know, and Nate Hackett's probably, you know, he could probably sign a contract with the Jets for a dollar mm-hmm. and still end up getting all of his money from the Denver Broncos. And, and, and Nate, he doesn't care just because he loves coaching ball. That's the kind of person he is. Did you get a chance, and I, I don't remember if I asked you this when we had you on at the stadium uh, before the game, but 
Did you get a chance to really get to know Robert Sala any when he was with Jacksonville for that short time when he was still up and coming in the business? Just a little bit. And, and from the aspect of he spent a short amount of time and then he ended up uh, going out to, I believe, San Francisco. But uh, Gus was the one who hired him. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I remember Gus was talking about hiring either Robert. It was another guy that played played in the NFL, and he ended up picking picking Robert. He had a little bit of past experience with Robert. And so, you know, didn't really get to know Robert really well. But, I mean, know who he is. He knows who I am. And, and I got a lot of respect for Robert just because he did a great job with the, with the players that he had here for a period of time. He had Paul Puzlesny and Telvin Smith, and they were arguably two of the best linebacking combinations in the league at that time just because of the job that Robert did, you know. And, and Robert's one of those coaches that uh, you know, is not a very outspoken, you know, kind of, a uh, guy that uh, that talks a lot. He's fairly quiet, but uh, he's a guy that has a lot of respect. And I got a lot of respect for him because uh, he's a very smart guy. And uh, kind of behind that quiet demeanor, there's a lot going on. So thumbs up on the Hackett hire, thumbs up on Salo. Talking to Jeff Lagerman, of course, former Jet. He's been the Jaguars radio analyst now for almost 25 years, for crying out loud. Boy, time flies. I still remember when you were playing. It feels like it was five minutes ago. But um, <laughs> let's look ahead to this game here coming up next Sunday because you guys played both Kansas City and Philadelphia. And we'll start with Kansas City because you saw them twice, as a matter of fact. You played them in the regular season and, of course, in the second round of the playoffs there. You dinged up Mahomes and almost really influenced the outcome outcome of the game but the great players always find a way he found a way to get that victory in the second round I'll put it this way do you think this version of the Chiefs this year is as good and on par with the two Chiefs teams that went to Super Bowls in the last few seasons well I I think they're as good and the only thing that they are missing is that elite deep threat on offense which obviously Tyreek Hill Right, But Patrick Mahomes has progressed so far. And the only thing I think that I would say maybe they're not as good as past versions is because of the ankle injury that Mahomes sustained against you know, the game that I was calling the Jaguars game. Uh, because what makes Patrick special is that he can do so many different things with his arms and his legs. And that really, I think, takes away a, a special part of his game that makes him tough to, to contend with. But I think as a team, I think Kansas City might have their best team. And not a lot of people want to talk about their defense. But I, I will tell you, they've gotten tremendous product, production out of their rookie class in the back end of the secondary. They've got two of the fastest, I think, linebackers that there is. And, I mean, I'm talking about fast-flow linebackers that can run – Chris Jones is playing his best football, arguably mm-hmm. the best defensive tackle in the game. You've got guys on the edge with Carl Loftus and also uh, Frank Clark that are really good players. So, I mean, they might have a better defense than they've ever had. And offensively, I think the one thing that, that they have without Tyreek Hill is Patrick really does a great job of spreading the ball to the open player, but still having – a dominant presence, a lean-on guy in Travis Kelsey. And that makes it tough. And Kansas City's offensive line, I think, has been playing pretty damn good. The inside three guys on their offensive line, uh, and Tooney and Humphrey, and then the right guard, his name escapes me, I think that's the best interior three in all of football. 
And so even though Andy Reid doesn't want to run the ball like, you know, downhill all the time, they can do it when they want to because of those three guys in the middle. They're really good. And the center's a rookie, and it just goes to show you, hey, you know what, you take a center in the draft, they can pay dividends for you, and Humphrey, Trey Smith is the right guard you were referring to, and Joe Tooney, I mean, they spent an arm and a leg to sign him in free agency, and hey, it's paying well, dividends for him. Humphrey's a second-year guy now. Yeah. yeah. Humphrey's a second-year guy now, you know what I mean? He, oh, that's right. He, he, he him, him and, and the crazy thing is, you, we're talking about the two, not a lot, it's not a sexy conversation. Everybody wants to talk about Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, for guys that are film junkies like me, watching Kelsey, at, you know, center for the Eagles, and Creed Humphrey, the center for the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, it's, that, that's good football. I mean, these two guys are really good. And then you add in Tooney and then uh, the, the right tackle for the Eagles, Lane Johnson. I mean, you're talking some of the best players in all of football. And that, that's the thing I think that impresses me about this game. If you look at the rosters of both of these football teams. You've got elite players throughout, you know, and – you hear yep. people talk about it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Well, I'm here to tell you, Kansas City and, and Philadelphia have got the Joe's on both of those teams. Well, and you're spot on about the offensive line thing for the, the Chiefs or whatever, and that's why Andy, you know, used a high pick on the center, for example, because if you remember that Super Bowl they lost to Tampa Bay, Mahomes was running for his life the entire afternoon. And, I mean, he damn near completed some of those passes, but he was out there. It was like one against 11 just because that line was like Swiss cheese all day. So Andy knew he had to fortify that, and he's done a nice job here. And, hey, they're back in the game, so he must know what he's doing. Um, Philadelphia. Yeah. Pretty, you, pretty, you, pretty you guys bold, too, by the way. They, they rebuilt that offensive line kind of blindly. You know, they had a good offensive line a couple of years ago. They they made the, the bold decision to rebuild it completely, mm-hmm. and they have. And so give them credit. You know, Andy Reid and the guys in the personnel department there in Kansas City really good. The tackles got hurt. That's what I – you know, the tackles got hurt. You know, Fisher and, and, and the other one, his name escapes me, but they got hurt. They broke down, and they made the trade for uh, Zeus Brown there with the Ravens, and it's worked out. Um, the Eagles, you played them, I think it was like week four, very early in the season. We didn't know how good the Eagles were going to be. And, and in that game, you guys jumped out to a 14 nothing lead, if I'm not mistaken, and then they came all the way back on you. But when you watch them – did you think that they had the look of a team that could possibly make a deep run this year like they have? Uh, no question. And the reason, I think, first and foremost, you look at their defense, they have, and what I think, the, the three best corners in football. And Kansas City, their cornerbacks are very young. The Philadelphia Eagles, they're veteran and experienced. Uh, the safeties are not great, but the corners, the, the two outside corners and the nickel, which I consider a corner, I think are the best in all of football, and then the front, the front guys can they can rotate rotate in too deep, and when they rotate, there's no drop off. You know that's the, the great thing about the Eagles is that they're back end and up front they can play ball, and pass rushers galore. They've got experience up front with all those guys up front, and offensively you've got two guys that can legitimately stretch a defense in Devonta Smith and then A.J. Brown, a quarterback who's a running threat every time that stresses defenses because they run the read option passing game when they want to. And Jalen Hurts, even though he's had the shoulder there late in the season, he's still a viable running threat. That's That makes mm-hmm. it hard on defensive coordinators, and they've got a really good running game, arguably the best offensive line in football as a whole. And uh, so that makes it tough now. And, and the Eagles are uh, Howie Roseman and, and Beach, the 
the two general managers that are in the Super Bowl have arguably done the best job, I think, in, in all of football. And, and they've done it with uh, without really wrecking the cap, so to speak. Both of these teams uh, have a tremendous amount of cap space into the future, and that's impressive. No doubt about that. What does your gut tell you real quick? Who wins the game? Man, uh, if Patrick Mahomes were healthy and playing like Patrick Mahomes all year long, I'd say that the Kansas City Chiefs because of him and the experience that they have. I guess right now I'm leaning towards Philadelphia. It's just something special about Jalen Hurts and this this little march that him and his football team are on, and uh, it's going to be a fun one. I hope it's a good game. You know, Dan, shoot, I just want a good football game to I watch, all do. you know, to enjoy. We all do. It's the last one we're going to get for a good long while, so we might as well go out on a high note. I'm with you on that one. Jeff, thanks again for hopping on, my friend. I really appreciate it. It's always good to connect. Uh, enjoy the off season, and I'm sure we'll be catching up again real soon. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure talking with you. All righty. That's our pal Jeff Lagerman, former Jet. Now he's done an outstanding job, of course, for a lot of years as the Jaguars radio analyst. 800-919-3776. The telephone number, Dan Gross' show, right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Blogman for hopping. It's cool to talk to Jeff, and Jeff knows his stuff. I mean, I hope you got something out of that interview. He's really, really good. He knows his stuff. And he was, um, you know, for those that are old enough and Jet fans that go back a ways, he was a good player. He, re- he really and truly was. Um, you know, they drafted him. He was a first-round pick in 89 and got off to a slow start a little bit. He was kind of miscast a little bit. They tried to play him as a stand-up linebacker, but then once the new coaching staff came in with Bruce Coslin in 1990, Pete Carroll, the defensive coordinator, and they switched to that 4-3 defense, you know, they made Lagerman a, uh, you know, a defensive end in the 4-3. And so he had his hand in the dirt, and, you know, he started making plays. And then, you know, 91, he had double-digit sacks. He was really, really good. And then – you know, 92, when they came back and they were off of that playoff season, and they were supposed to really do some stuff. You know, Lagerman blew out his knee in, in the second game of the season in Pittsburgh, I remember. And just, you know, one thing led to another that year. Al Toon got the last concussion of his career and had to retire. And then in November, Dennis the Dennis Bird incident happened. You know, 92 was a nightmare season. And then, you know, 93, they had chances. They acquired, you know, Boomer Sison and Ronnie Lott and, you know, Jeff had another good season then when he uh, came back and they fell short of the playoffs and, you know, kind of choked at the end of the year and Coslick got fired. Then Pete Carroll was elevated to head coach for 94 and, you know, things were looking good right up until Thanksgiving weekend and that infamous fake spike game against Dan Marino and the Dolphins. And they ended up losing out five straight to end the season and Pete Carroll got blown out of there and that's really when they kind of blew up the organization and Jeff, you know, moved on and um, with like a lot of players did. And he went down to Jacksonville and signed with the expansion Jaguars under Tom Coughlin. And in a couple of years, they were in the AFC championship game. Think about it. And he hasn't left Jacksonville ever since. But Lagerman was one of my favorite. But Lagerman, I'll tell you, he was a guy. And I told him this story, too, when when we had him on at the uh, coaches club on the pregame show before the Jaguars game this year. So I was like a you know little kid. I was still in like grammar school back then during those days when he was playing. And I would you know go to the games and I'd hang out at like the players' parking lot trying to get autographs or whatever. And I was you know a little scrawny kid. Thing I remember about Lagerman is that I'd hand him the sharpie to sign an autograph or whatever, and he was great and he would. But his fingers, like one of his fingers, was like the size of my entire hand. He was a massive human being. 
massive dude, and he played like it on the field, and kind of cool. You know, if, if, if you told, you know, 10, 11-year-old me that you're going to be talking to Jeff Lagerman on your show one day, I think he'd get a kick out of it, that's for sure. Uh, let's say hi to Vinny in Staten Island. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Vin, how are you? Good, Don. How are you, buddy? What's up, Vinny? How are you? All right, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I just want to contradict a couple of points that Jeff said. I mean, he's a nice guy, great player. But when he was speaking about Robert Salah, Robert Salah is not a quiet guy. He's always talking in the press, always making predictions about championships and receipts. We'll see Buffalo again. He's not a quiet guy. Well, I think he meant maybe his time when he was in Jacksonville. He was still kind of like a you know, younger assistant and so on and so forth. I don't know if he's you know, following Robert Sala, his press conferences on a daily basis now that he's the head coach with the Jets. Yeah. And another thing with the Haggett hiring, I, I just don't see it working with Salah because Salah is such a lame duck this year. And to bring Hackett in off the year he had in Denver, I mean, that was the worst offense in football. He was calling up the calling the plays until November 22nd. Then he handed them over to Clint Kubiak. Right. I just don't see this as a good marriage at all. I don't, and especially if Aaron Rodgers comes in. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't come in, then it's going to be a mess. If Rodgers does come in, it could work. But Vin. if Rodgers don't come in, yeah. Vin, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but let me remind you, and this is, this is why I wanted to have Jeff on. The best season that Nathaniel Hackett ever had calling plays, the Jaguars in 2017, they had a top 10 offense. Blake Bortles was his quarterback. I understand. Blake Bortles. So here's the thing, and and I'll tell you this firsthand. I'll tell you this firsthand, Vinny, and I thank you for the phone call. What was very important to the Jets when they went through this entire process of interviewing all the candidates that were out there, you know, they, they, they scoured the earth to talk to, to, to coaches, to be the offensive coordinator. Experience was high on their list. Not what system you believe in or what system you have uh, experience in. Experience. And Nathaniel Hackett has experience. Right? Look, I don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Although I do have a feeling that we might find out sooner rather than later, but I don't know who that quarterback is going to be. But nevertheless, it's proven they could work. And this wasn't, look, they scored. You know, this wasn't one of these, like, you know, eat up the clock type offenses when he was in Jacksonville and that sort of thing. No, like, they were a legit top 10 offense, yardage, points, everything. Like, so it worked. And you know who their number one wide receiver was on those teams or on that team in 2017? Marquise Lee. Remember Marquise Lee? Went to USC, but, like, never really carved out a role for himself. You know, never really kind of played it off into a star in the NFL, and he's not even in the league anymore. So that was your number one wide receiver. They relied heavily on Leonard Fournette that year. Remember, he was the rookie running back, and he had a great season. But they were fifth in scoring. They averaged just over 26 points a game, so fifth. Sixth in yards per game. They were the number one rushing team in the NFL that year, and they were like middle of the pack when it came to throwing the football. But they should have won that AFC championship game. They had a remember, they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter up in Foxborough. And they got hosed by the officials. Remember that play with the fumble and Miles Jack 
uh, recovered the ball and, and, and they went back and they looked at it and they said that, you know, it wasn't a fumble or the knee was down or something like that. But, I mean, th- th- that was like a game-altering type play. But Jaguars should have won that game. And then they would have been in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, who else? Who knows what the rest of the story would have been? And the, and the thing about, see, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world in the minds of the fans. I get it. But like we talked about with Jeff, I could sit here and give you countless examples of coaches in NFL history that were god-awful as coach as head coaches, but as coordinators, they were pretty damn good. You know, the guy right now down in Tampa Bay, who I like personally, okay, Todd Bowles has had his struggles as a head coach. But as a defensive coordinator, he's one of the best in football. And, oh, by the way, he won a Super Bowl two years ago as the defensive coordinator at Tampa Bay. You know, Wade Phillips got a Super Bowl championship as a coordinator. As a head coach, he was okay, but never got to those heights again. You know, Norv Turner, another one of those guys. Troy Aikman, his whole career, swears by Norv Turner. Most influential guy in his career. Norv Turner was a great coordinator. Head coach, eh. A lot of guys. You know, maybe Nathaniel Hackett's one of those guys. But if you're a Jet fan, don't think of him as you're getting the guy who was the Broncos head coach uh, last year which was a failed experiment. Think of the guy that has proven to be a successful play caller in the National Football League. Ryan in Tarrytown, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hey, man, thanks for taking my call. Um, well, first, it's about the Jaguars and the Chiefs. The, the Jaguars were lucky to get by the Chiefs with that offsides call that year. Was that right? Is that that game you're talking about? No, that was – that was um... – that was wasn't that since that was Cincinnati in the Chiefs or no New England New England in the Chiefs in the championship no, game no, with the D four off. Was Jackson. Oh yeah, no, it, was, it was New England in the Chiefs. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're Ford. right, sir. You're yeah. right. When he was offsides, yeah. But um, and that Jeff Lagerman was awesome, man. I remember not too many games. I remember who I was with and where I was with that Houston and uh, the Houston playoff game with Warren Moon, uh, Houston Oilers, right? I was with my friend Miles, man. That was that was some game. What a disappointing loss that was. Lagerman was awesome. Thanks for a great interview. I wanted to talk Super Bowl if possible. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, you know, I can't go against Mahomes in my thinking after the performance that he had, but the Eagles, they're like a missile, especially on the in the ground game, right? And they just go right through you, and they just they don't care. They don't stop. So if I was Andy Reid, I would um, just try and stop the run, totally commit to stopping the run, keeping Hurts in the pocket. Now, given that leaves Devontae Smith wide open, but as a rookie in the Super Bowl, you know, I think that's where they have to go. What do you think, then? You know what I think, Ryan, and thanks for checking in. Normally, since this Mahomes-Andy Reid tandem have kind of made their entrance onto the NFL level here in a, in, in a big way, Chiefs have usually been the most talented team on the field, at least like their weapons going up against the other team. I don't think you could say that about this Super Bowl. I think the Eagles have more weapons. I, I know that the two offenses aren't on the field at the same time, but the Eagles have more weapons offensively than the Chiefs do, especially if Mahomes is not going to be at 100%, and he's not, right? So, this is going to take some doing. And ordinarily, like Jeff said, I you know, Mahomes is normally the best player on the field. And he'll be a little bit healthier probably than he was in the AFC Championship game because he's had a couple of weeks to help that ankle heal. But this is, this is going to be tough because you have a compromised Mahomes going up against the number one pass defense in the NFL, which is Philadelphia. 
We'll have a lot to say about this Super Bowl game over the next week, of course, here, but I still think it's going to be a good game. I don't think either team's running away with it, that's for sure. 800-919-3776. You'll hear from a couple of the so-called Jet quarterback options as they have spoken here about their potential futures in Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. And for the Giant fans, pretty special day for you, too. We'll talk about that coming up next. Dan Grasso Show, till the top, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. On February the 9th, just download the ESPN New York app, scroll down to contests, and submit your entry. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. Be sure to visit NewYorkIslanders.com for team news, tickets, and more, and catch every Islanders game live on the Islanders stream heard only on the ESPN New York app. Dan Gross's show, we're rolling till the top of the hour, and then it's Anita with the weekend wager. Remember, we'll be back with you bright and early tomorrow, 9 a.m., so... You don't feel like leaving the house. If you don't have to leave the house, it's going to be like five degrees tomorrow morning. You know what? Just pop us on. Keep you company for a few hours and get you set up here for your weekend. Big weekend, of course, with all the college hoops. You got your Knicks Saturday and Sunday night at the Garden. A couple of tough games against the Clip Joint and the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll see how they fare in those games. And we'll see which way the wind continues to blow with these Kyrie Irving rumors as that has been all the rage here this evening. Happy anniversary is in order for the Super Bowl Forty-Two Giants. That's right. You believe 15 years ago today, February the 3rd, 2008, Giants shocked the world, spoiled the undefeated season for the New England Patriots, 17-14 to 14, out in Glendale, which is where the Super Bowl is again this year, coincidentally enough. But, you know, I don't know how old you are or – doesn't matter how old you are. I think if you're a sports fan and you watched it long enough, I mean, that game probably has got to be somewhere in your top five of biggest sports upsets that you ever witnessed. Easy. You know, there's a few that come to mind for, I mean, that I, you know, I wasn't obviously old enough for Super Bowl three. I wasn't old enough for the Miracle on Ice. But if you're just talking about like singular sports upsets and I'm not you know unfortunately like you can't put a series into it because that that kind of plays out over time you know it's but like one singular event game that game the Giants Super Bowl against the Patriots um Buster Douglas Mike Tyson easily that might be number one I, I, I to this day I could still remember the feeling of watching that fight when it happened um and you know which one always kind of, to me, it was an upset because they were an absolute juggernaut. And it might not seem like it because of, like, the team that they lost to, but it was either 91 or 92. I can't remember the year off the top of my head. But when UNLV was going for that back-to-back championship and they lost in the Final Four to Duke, that was shocking because that UNFL team or the UNLV team was an absolute juggernaut. I mean, that was as good a collection of talent that I had seen in college basketball up until that point. I was, I was very young for Villanova-Georgetown. I do kind of remember that a little bit. I mean, that probably has to be in the mix there. But remember, there was no shot clock. So game was different back then, but it still happened. And, you know, th- that Georgetown team with Ewing and, you know, Coach Thompson, that was a, a machine. And, you know, Villanova and Raleigh, they were able to shock the world. But that UNLV team, remember, the year before in the national championship game, UNLV embarrassed Duke, embarrassed them. They beat them by, like, 30-something points. 
It, it was it was like varsity against JV, and then to come back the next year, and that really was the beginning of Duke. You know, as far as championship Duke was concerned, they hadn't had one up until that point. And they shocked the world in the Final Four, won the championship a couple of nights later, and then, you know, the rest is history with Coach K and company. So, yeah, that was, those are probably the ones that stand out for sure. And, um, boy, the Giants Super Bowl. You've been 15 years already. 15 years. Man time. Time flies. Does it not? 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let's say hi to Bill in New Jersey. He's up next year on 98.7. Billy, how are you? Hey, Dan. Um, so with all the uh, Kyrie drama going on today, I was looking back to the 2014-15-16 Cavs team, and of course today being uh, Michael Jordan Day, 2-3-23. Um, there's a lot of LeBron, Michael Jordan comparisons going around. So do you think that LeBron being able to get the most out of Kyrie, especially in that championship season, um, I don't think we appreciate that enough on his resume. And I guess uh, Jordan kind of teamed Rodman, but Phil Jackson was heavily involved in that. So do you think that LeBron getting the most out of Kyrie is not talked about enough of how impressive that was, and should that really be something that we kind of add to his legacy? Perhaps. Because he, here's the thing about Rodman. Rodman, uh, you know, by the time he was on the Bulls, he was already off the reservation. But Dennis Rodman, remember, before he got to the Bulls, was already a championship player with the Detroit Pistons. Remember, he had won those rings already and was a, a very important part of those teams, you know, the bad boy Pistons team. So it's not like he was chopped liver. I mean, he was a damn good basketball player, but, you know, it was all about could you keep his head on straight for him to contribute. Kyrie at that time, when he won a championship with LeBron there in Cleveland, like we hadn't really seen evidence yet that he was going to be this guy where it seemed like distractions were going to be getting in the way of basketball. So at that point, you know, when it happened, we just didn't know any different with Kyrie. With, with, with Rodman, with the Bulls, it was, all right, he's buying in, even though his hair is a different color and he's a little kooky and stuff, but you knew the talent was there. Remember, he was as good a defensive player as there was in the league. He was going to win the rebounding title every single year. You know, and, and Rodman's a Hall of Famer, rightfully so, because of that there. But, yeah, I, I mean, I could maybe see some similarities there a little bit, you know, playing with the great player. But I think just in terms of accomplishments prior to, I think Rodman has the edge on Kyrie because, you know, he was already a damn good player from his time with the Detroit Pistons. Take a quick final break. We'll come back. We'll take a quick final break. We'll come back. Type a few knots here, and then we'll send it off to Anita in the weekend wager. Dan Grasso Show right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>